Hello, good people in New York City and beyond. My name is Adam Shaper, and this is Freelance Fiends Presents Sounds Familiar, the podcast where I talk to the denizens of New York nightlife about their art, about their desires, about their drives, and how they survive in the big city. Thank you so much to all the folks that checked out the very first episode, and many thanks to Ann Courtney of Mother Feather for joining me for that one. The response has been good, and I've been working pretty hard all week since then to make sure that it's available on every single podcasting platform I could think of. So again, many thanks to all the folks who took a listen. Thanks to Ann for getting that out there and uh, for sitting down with me. And my guests this week are Cinema Cinema. That's Ev Gold and Paul Claro, Brooklyn-born cousins who make up the heavy experimental duo. We met up over the summer to talk about growing up in South Brooklyn, playing gigs in what's known uh, these days as old New York, how formats have changed over the years, and of course their favorite music, because that's what I'm here to talk about, man. Since their formation in 2008, Cinema Cinema have played nearly 500 live shows, including half a dozen European tours and an opening slot for Black Flag's 2014 North American tour. They've also released a handful of albums, including the latest CCXMD, pronounced by, uh, pr- sorry, produced by Vin Sin of Electric Plant Studios in Brooklyn, New York. The album came out on November 1st on Nefarious Industries. They're currently, uh, actually today, they're heading out on tour of the West Coast through November. Tour dates can be found at cinemacinemaband.com backslash booking. Now, this new record, there's a lot of things being said about it. I'm just going to read you a couple things. You'll see these in the show notes as well. Pop Matters says, Cinema Cinema showed themselves as a brooding, multifaceted monster that is relentless in its pursuit of musical mastery. Sonic Abuse says, This very clearly is music of niche appeal, designed to flout convention and explore the outer limits of what can be achieved by an art rock collection. Uh, sorry, collective. I, I really enjoy people pushing boundaries. And the chaos can be liberating as much as it can warp the senses. This recording either represents a snapshot of the specific moment of an artistic statement or ties them to a blueprint that they have to take with them. So we talk about their favorite music. We talk at length about kind of what it was like to play in Brooklyn. The, these cousins are 10 years apart in age. So uh, one grew up during the 90s. One came of age in the early aughts, middle aughts. So they had very, uh, not very different experiences, but somewhat different experiences in their kind of little enclaves in South Brooklyn. So uh, I've talked to these guys quite a bit before. Check in the show notes. You can see I was on the road an hour with them a couple times. They've been on my show, uh, the old show as well, Old Time Religion. And uh, they're great guys to talk to. They're very easy to talk to. They're a lot of fun, and they are New York through and through. So without further ado, please meet Ev Gold and Paul Claro, Cinema Cinema. Okay. Oh, it's, it's oh, nice to see you. So much oh, we have uh, slack. Yeah. Ooh, a little bit. How about we have slack. Yeah, yeah. Dude looks like a lady. When you start, when you start doing your... Uh... Dude looks like a lady. <laughs> Can you get some of that? Oh, that's in there now. Okay. All right. Thank God. Hey, guys. Evan Paul, Cinema Cinema. Hello. How hey. are you? Hello. Let's just roll with it. Just go with it. Hello. Thank you guys so much for coming out. I interviewed you a couple years ago, and as we were just talking about... I uh, had a little technical difficulty because my dumbass left the air conditioning on. He was trying to be a nice man. It he was, was very. To treat us to a little cool. I I put cool it up there. I'm a, I'm kind of a perfectionist in a way, but I was like, oh well, I gotta put it out there. So there it is with all the buzzing and hissing. Hopefully we avoid that this time. Buzzing and hissing is something we are closely as cine- <laughs> uh, closely <laughs> associated with it's in cinema. Cinema. Ev's signature sound. Yeah, my pedal board has enough buzz and hiss to uh, chase everybody away, so it's, it's quite all right. I say the same thing about the inside of my head, actually. It's very, very, hiss- <laughs> very buzzy in there. Oh boy. 
So, uh, so you know, this is a podcast about music and about New York City, and uh, you guys are quintessential New York City. Grew up here, as I recall. Mm, yes. Um, and down in the area that I'm not as familiar with, kind of the southeast of Brooklyn. Is that is that correct? Is that right from what I remember? I would say if you were to look at a, a map of Brooklyn, it's it is the southeast area of Brooklyn that yeah. we're from. Everything Check out Wikipedia, maybe. <laughs> 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 where it's where all the sailors are, from what I understand, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Everything's yes. called kill, sheep's kill, or the sheep's head. Sheep's head, yeah. yeah it's like horse kill. Yeah, is that? sheep's head bay, and um, there, there's a. Uh, there's a beach that's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like a mass murderer, serial killer oh. beach. <laughs> horse, it's like horse skill, right? It's like, like Horseshoe Bay was yeah. over there somewhere. Horseshoe. I've never heard of Horseshoe Bay. I, 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 went, I went, it's right across the street from, from <laughs> you, the home you grew up in. Oh, that's, that's, what was, that was what was sold to me, I believe, uh, as a child on a, on a trip in fourth grade. We'll talk more about New York in a second. Sure. But sure. What's, the, what's the song that you started your day with? How did you start your day? It could have been something. Did you turn on the radio? Did you pop something onto your Spotify, mm. uh, which I do not endorse? But uh, you know, however, however you did it, what was what was the music you started your day with? Today? Well, today was uh, I do start music uh, every day. I start my day with a bit of music. This is Ev, by the way, tuning in. Um, and uh, today I started off actually. Uh, and this isn't just to do like a plug uh, of our own stuff. I don't. I don't wake up every morning, look myself in the face, and listen to my own <laughs> song. But we just uh, slowly we, putting lipstick on in the mirror. Yeah. We've just started recording. Oh, can, we, can, we, can we curse on this? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay yeah. cool. Yeah, Gotta always check. Gotta always check. So, so we're in the midst of doing a new recording project. So I actually, the first thing I listened to this morning was a bit of this recording project that involves us and uh, some collaborators. Uh, so after I finished listening to that, the first thing I did listen to on, on Apple Music, because I, I don't peruse Spotify, it just so happens, uh, I was kind of grandfathered into the whole Apple idea from, I guess, the iTunes platform, uh, so I was kind of like used to the idea of Apple, but I've recently been really getting into King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, oh, that, which... Oh, yeah, that new. Are you talking about the? Well, the, well, the, the newest stuff is actually straight up like metal, yes, thrash, absolutely. I, yeah. And it's it, that isn't the thing that that led me in. The name I heard the name four or five years ago at mm -hmm. first, and I thought, ugh, I don't care. They seem very. Silly. I immediately I was like, yeah. I don't want to care. I don't. I won't care. Is what I thought based on the name. Just so foolish yes. to be so yeah. close-minded, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know. And then I saw a picture of them, and there's a whole bunch of them, and I'm just like, what is the deal? They have two drummers. Like, they have yeah. two drummers, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know, I just I, I gave it a taste. I'd say sometime uh, maybe two or three about 2016. Uh, I, that I, was when they put out their the Nonagon Infinity record, and, and it's, yeah. they, I think they put out a handful of records. That they year, put out maybe? like sick. They, no, it was either 2016 or 2017. They put out like five records. I, I got in one year. I came into the party when they were like at this huge prolific time, and yes. I just the first song I listened to got me. Yeah, you know. So uh, I've been like in sampling here and there, although I haven't been like endorsing them highly. To a like, little oh my, bit goes a long way. Uh, because truly. it's very, they're very much that kind of band that's like basically doing the same thing, but they do it, they change how they're doing it. They, they, they grab a pattern and they really rock it oh, and they get yeah. funky it, with it. It's very groovy math rock kind yeah. of deal. Yeah, the, uh, the, I was listening to a song called Rattlesnake from yeah. Flying Microtonal Banana. That's uh, a very interesting and, record too, where they're yeah. only using microtonal instruments. Yeah, yeah. and it's just like, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm reading more and on every one of the albums I listen to and I'm just like, what are these guys doing? And then 
the new album that's coming out in August is a thrash album. It's a really like thrash. thrashy album, but it's you very know, like, similar to their other records. Uh, it, it, but th- they just turn everything it's up. It's them doing yeah. that. It's yeah. not, you know, so I mean, I, I listened to that specifically this morning. Uh, and then also um, Mark Lanigan Band, I've of been course, listening yeah, to a yeah. lot. That's and a standby. I love that. Um, you know, the, they, the King Gizzard, they sell out every tour. They're playing fucking Central Park Summer Stage. They, they sell out yes. every I just, show. I wa- every show worldwide. I walked into their whole deal a year or two ago, just basically picking a small piece of fruit, taking a taste. Mm-hmm. I turn around, I look at them, they're fucking huge. I had no idea. So they, I, they're I don't a worldwide feel re- band, yeah. I don't feel revelatory at all in saying like, oh, I listened to that this morning. It's like... I, I almost want to tell on myself, like I've been I've been experimenting with this King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard stuff. I've been sampling it. Did you and see their uh, videos for uh, this new record too? I, I did see the videos. Those are pretty for the out record. of hand as yeah, well. <laughs> they're, they're pretty wacko. But pretty that was silly. after listening to Cinema Cinema first. Uh, yes, yes. Then then <laughs> it was yeah, to let clear, me clarify. To clear the palette. Let's I, uh, yes. Threw then, in some Yeah, then no, but King Gizzard was what and then, I And then Paul, what do you start your day with? Because I it's not like you, you guys don't like live on in bunk beds or anything no, in the same yeah. Not not for a while. You're your own uh, man, that's for sure. Um, I, it's weird. I recently I've been listening to um in the morning the Highwaymen, which is the, the um, super group, the right? super group of uh, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Ooh. Chris Christopherson. For some reason, I didn't know. I really yeah. never listened to his solo yeah. stuff. He knew all those guys, and yeah. of course Johnny Cash, and just something about it is just a nice way to just kind of like. I'm on the train and it's just like it's like it's like it's just it's, it's like a western it's classic. <laughs> and how do you listen to it? You listen to Spotify? Do you have it on your iTunes? I have it on, like, I have it on Spotify. Okay, I do, okay. do the Spotify unfortunately. I'm not going to dog you too much. Sorry. I don't dog just, you. It, my my subscription came free there you with go. my Sprint account for right. my phone. So right. Why wouldn't you, you know. do it? I understand. So yeah. It wasn't wasn't Pan- even by Pandora choice. was a way that uh, I've discovered music in the past. Yeah, I haven't done I tried Spotify and it was difficult for me, but we won't go into that. Yeah. There's some nice things about it, but I won't get into it show about how people interact with music <laughs> and how it's changed and and everybody does something different which is uh always very interesting i mean me. if i had my if i had my choice i would listen to like vinyl vinyl records on the train if wouldn't I could. that well yeah then you'd that's be one of those guys <laughs> that's what i would do like if that, that was an option right, right but uh can't do that but uh yeah i had never listened to any of the highwaymen and my 18 year old cousin a couple weeks ago at a fourth of july party mm-hmm. yeah he uh is really into um uh, Willie Willie Nelson. Willie is a so I grew up in Missouri, and around and Arkansas, so like country music. And Willie is a very distinctive voice. Yeah. In American music, and it's like a salve. Yeah. On my and you know what? That's where we'll go next. So Ooh, like really? so like so tell me about your cousin real quick. So no, he no, got no, you going. He's just a young guy who just like he's been talking about loving. Um, Willie for years. I actually, and he likes to cook. So for uh, we do like a secret Santa for Christmas mm-hmm. with all my cousins. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year I got him a like a custom made Willie Nelson apron. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, he was all about it. He was wearing, he was cooking burgers for us wearing yeah. it that day. Well, you so. know, Willie wrote his big three hits uh, like all on one car trip back in like the '60s, maybe the late '50s. Wow! And he wrote them all, and he sold them for like 150 bucks. <laughs> But he was, you know, but growing up that like that was always so my dad was a cattleman and it was always on the radio. Willie Nelson was always because that's how you listen to music in the 80s. Dad was a cattleman. Yes. Yeah. Cattle farmer in Arkansas. So I'd go down on the summers to visit him because my parents weren't married. So like I would go visit him in the summers and do bale hay and all that shit. And and Randy Travis was another voice that I'm (laughs) unabashedly. I used to be ashamed of. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. 
But Willie Nelson, if you ever listen to uh, him and Johnny Cash, did that unplugged thing for MTV or whatever. Oh my God, they did. Yes, and there or no, they did VH1 Storytellers. Okay, okay. And yeah. there's and and Willie Nelson does a version of Always on My Mind. Yeah. That is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Gotcha. And at the yeah. end, you hear Johnny Cash just at the end. He goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's so good. So Willie Nelson is kind of like that bypass in my brain, unashamed of, of that. So what's that What's that for you? What's the what's a track? And we'll start with Paul and go to Ev again. Uh, what's a track for you? Because you guys, what's the, let me describe your music real quick for maybe the uninitiated. Uh, I almost call you, you're like borderline a noise band to me. Very uh, improvisational. Uh, but heavy, um, you know, and there's definitely like patterns and structures that you guys kind of build. There's like a drone ed- edge to it as well. Um, and very experimental. I'll put it that way. So uh, Ev's nodding, so I've, I'm doing all right. So, so, you know, and I consider myself a rocker, but I love all kinds of things. And I imagine the same's with you. Um, so, so Paul, start out. <laughs> let me know what what's a track that... One song, not even an album, not even. But what's that one song that, like, as a young man, really like drove you towards music, or kind of like, still to this day, you're like, no, I'll stand for that all day long. Wow. Um, as a young as a young man. Sure, or even something, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah we're all aging, so. <laughs> um, I would have to say, uh, well, so I mean, and don't be don't be afraid to get a little closer to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I will get close. Hello. Um trying to think because uh you know like something that really drove me to music sure or just something Um, that just presses the good buttons in your head yeah you know it doesn't Um, have to be like too meaningful just like just for you it's pretty much anything off of uh born to run by bruce springsteen all right uh just because that was always on in the car when i was a kid when i was before this before i even picked up drumsticks yeah yeah um so and just the, the the driving beat of max weinberg um always stuck in my head and it was kind of like you know simplistic kind of beats sure so like kind of like yeah they're not they're not a prog band by right, any means right right yeah. so like i just remember being like able to like when i was first getting really like the the itch to play drums i first kind of wanted to play guitar but i i, I was like eight yeah so it really yeah. didn't wasn't making sense and then by the time i was nine i got my first drum set so like the my dad was a big Bruce Springsteen fan, so we always had it on so it's like, it's a condition in this area yeah, yeah <laughs> i you know and 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 just something about you know I mean, like Jungle Land. Like I remember just hearing yeah. that as a young kid and just being like, "Wow!" Like that was like the first epic song that was like, "Wow, this is like seven minutes long." And how were you hearing that? Was that like parents' record collection in the car? Yeah, it was like, in the car in the PT Cruiser. We oh, had a PT nice, Cruiser. Nice, those are classic. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> my, my dad liked it because it looked like a like a hearse. I think that's the most '90s car yeah. I think that you could describe. Yeah, like it was, name a car from the '90s PT Cruiser. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. thankfully they don't make those anymore. They were not. They, they, they were basically like a, a death trap. I mean, sure. In the 90s. Yeah. Yes. They yeah. were not safe. Yeah. They didn't have good. They didn't even get good gas mileage. Right. Right. I, mean, right. I didn't do that even at an eight year old. Like that. We're, we're getting too much gas. We, we're, we're pulling over way too much. <laughs> now, now, Ev, what was the the song that's like still again? Because uh, we're about the same age. Yeah. So like you know that still to this day takes you back to like that eight year old. That like ten year old or fifteen year old, whatever that those pivotal moments. Like, what's the thing that gives you the warm feeling? Yeah. Oh, the deep cuts. Yeah, no, no. Um, and I should point out for the uninitiated again, these uh, you guys are cousins. Yes, but we, but we with are a, cousins. well, like a decade between you, give or take. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah exactly. The decade is closed. In the, <laughs> the decade that we've been playing. Sure, together. sure. It is definitely closed <laughs> very quickly for all the time that we. So yeah, together definitely a, a family a family affair over yeah, here with yeah. Cinema Cinema. Um, 
Wow, I mean, it's, it's like I think of two specific songs, but you're asking for one, you know. So well, I, don't, I mean, I don't if there's two and they're always go ahead. Well, the, yeah. the, there's there's two that really, really are like I, I'd say I hear them as soon as I hear them, and it's like this meaningful, magical thing that brings me to this place. Sure. Uh, there's a Bob Dylan song called "Like a Rolling Stone." Of course. And that first snare hit, pop. Yeah, yeah. Dan, like in the organ, everything is in. Yes. Uh, when I was first learning how to play guitar. Uh, 1992. I was about 14 years old. Um, that was uh, maybe the second or third song I learned how to play. And I remember uh, listening to it um, from my parents' record collection and sitting down with a piece of paper and pen and writing down every lyric. Yeah. So I, because it's 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 essentially three or four chords shifted around. Which record is that uh, off of? I can never remember. You know, my mother had a Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits record. Okay, yeah, you know, I, I mean, the one with so his face on the side. Exactly. Yeah, I have that, that same that, one. Yeah. That that's what I, that's where I pulled it from. It might have been track one on that. Yeah. Um, but I remember sitting there and writing every lyric down so I'd have the lyrics written so I could try to play the song on guitar and sing mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and. Being just like blown away at you know the lyrics, the imagery, the usage, how many lyrics there were, how it just, it's a it's, long it's song, seven verses yeah, long, yeah. I think, you know, and like, and the I mean I'm not going to start to paraphrase the lyrics, you know, I'm not going to do it any justice. A lot of stuff spoke to me. A lot of stuff like, oh, I was getting this or that at such a young age. Like it felt like things were connecting in my head, and the the power and the weight of the words in music, I think, kind of affected me. Then. He was a very young man when he wrote it too. Yeah, like he made his start at 19, and that couldn't have been past the third album. Yeah, that's so. So he must have early. been 21. Mm -hmm. Like so. So for a 14 year old and, to connect to that makes sense. And and, and and by no means do I claim by by any. You know, way to be a huge, huge Dylan guy, but sure. that song resonates in a very big way. What's the other one? Uh, the other one, "Alive" by Pearl Jam. That's yeah. That was one for me too. Really, ten, right? Mm -hmm. That's the one. Yes, That's ten. Yeah. Oh, and so it was uh, "Alive." You said "Alive." Yeah. Oh my God. Song yes. three from ten. Yeah, I, it was for me. Uh, I had just gotten um, a new Walkman for Christmas. It was yep. nineteen nine. It was Christmas of nineteen ninety one. I had just seen um, Guns N' Roses played Madison Square Garden that month, and I saw them. I was very lucky to have gone to the show, yeah. um, uh, and Soundgarden opened. So the initial... Oh, my God. In 91. Yeah, in 91. <laughs> and I was amazing. a little kid. I was like 12. That's amazing. Yeah, I was 12. So the... I had asked for the, uh, I, I either asked for it for Christmas or for Hanukkah, or I, I remember acquiring the Soundgarden CD band yeah. Motorfinger previous to that show, because already like some of my habits that I still have to this day, like if yeah. I'm going to see a band, I wind up kind of like listening to that band a yeah, bunch around then. Yeah, it enhances like your just, experience. Yeah, like a couple of bands I've seen this year, I wound up like listening to their records over and over around that time, but but not to Sidebar, we could talk about that later yeah, on, yeah. etc. Um because I it's like Paul's the vinyl guy, like I'm a compact disc guy, so that's yes. worth even mentioning too. Because that's also a generational thing. Well, and, uh, and they weren't you didn't buy as many in the early '90s. Yeah, it was still kind of cassettes that you mm -hmm, got, mm -hmm. and then like around '95. You'd be like, oh, I think I can get the CD. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, started, when, that's when they started putting everything out yeah, on CD. Yeah, it started for me. I had a disc man. So yeah. I'd buy the cassettes, and then the ones yep. I really liked, I'd collect for my disc man. But to get back around to it, yes. I had just gotten a fresh new Walkman. Fresh new Walkman oh, uh, yeah. in December of 91. And I just loaded it with batteries as I was walking around my house with the Walkman on and like just exploring the radio, not even listening to tapes, like trying to hear like new music. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, because you could get the you could get the AM FM band yeah, on those yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and although it wasn't there was a there was a rock station at the time called 1480 Z Rock. AM 1480 yes. Z Rock. Yep. Yeah. They they used to play a top fifty like metal and hard rock songs on every every Sunday night AM. Oh yeah. The Sunday night shows on the rock stations were the jam oh in the nineties. Where Clear so, Channel bought everything up. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'm I, I'm perusing that, trying to find this, that, and the other. 
and they're like, this is something brand new, you know, mm-hmm. Pearl Jam Alive. And, it, you know, it starts off and I'm like, OK, you know, hmm. You know, and the vocals come in, and it's more of a baritone leaning vocal at the time. Yeah. A lot of the vocalists are a little bit more, you know, like higher dudes. So, like, well, especially like, oh, Soundgarden, on. they were going for that deep purple kind yeah, of vibe. Totally. So, like, Iron here Maiden we are. Whatnot, it's yeah. kind of falling a little differently in my, on my ears, and I'm liking it. And the thing that body slammed me that first time listening to it is the. It's like a minute and a half outro guitar solo. Yeah. Like, the song is great. It's got a bridge, it's got a change, it's got a chorus with a, with a slogan, like, I'm still alive. All of that, and then they kick it over into this amazing, like, blues jam thing. And it was very, like, kind of almost like a change of key, almost. Like, much brighter, much happier yeah, near the it's, end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite a Layla ending, but it's right, like, you know, like, right, right, right. there's a shift there that happens at the end of a live. For yes. me, at least, as a little 12-year-old, there of was course. a goddamn shift that fucking happened. Well, and with 10, it's that whole album, it's very spacious in its engineering. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah, there's yeah. a lot of room to move around inside of that and it, it was before the digital age so like mm-hmm. the compression was still the tape and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff it was amazing yeah so that that definitely like to this day when I hear the first chord kick of Alive or when I hear the guitar solo at the end I am air guitaring whether I'm right, 40 right. or I'm 30 or I'm 18 or I'm at someone's birthday party or I'm at someone's wedding or something like it's it gets me going it makes me kind of remember it, it does that magical thing that music does it's a time machine sense memory yeah Boom. it takes you straight I'm back and you're I'm, there i'm right there where right. i just described where i was with the with the walkman and it's on a tactile 12. too you can feel it mm-hmm. now let me ask you so we kind of nailed down the dates you guys are 10 years apart so you kind of have almost like a different a very similar family experience i'm sure but almost a different uh new york experience sure because when you're coming of age based on what you're telling me new york was a very different place than it was when you were the same age I, I would definitely yeah. say so I'm, I'm born 78 he's born 88 okay i was give. 81 so i'm kind of like right after you yeah uh so so tell me like what was what was it like growing so where did you grow up tell me exactly where you guys grew up because i'll start off i'm I'm the older one makes Uh, sense you know um, (laughs) i'm holding the mic already yeah you know like and then i will yield i will okay all right all right i will yield i'll try to i'll try to keep it on the rails yeah please keep me on the rails okay so um so for me, uh, by the time that music really took me over and, 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 and infected me and I knew I had to play music, I knew I had to be in a band. I was about 14. I learned how to play guitar. I started mm-hmm. to try to find people to play with. By 1994, when I was 15 turning 16, I found my first band. Now, where is this? Uh, like, where are this you? This is, I, I, I'm living in, in an area, in a neighborhood called Bergen Beach. Bergen Beach is kind of close to King's Plaza Shopping Mall. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's South Brooklyn. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a neighborhood over from Garrison Beach where Paul is living at the time, although okay. he's, you know, very... Very, very young. Very young, time. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, it's it's the kind of it's the kind of neighborhood that if you're not uh, an actual Brooklynite or you haven't been from here, like we've traveled around a lot. Yeah, people never when they when they ask where we're from in Brooklyn, if we say Bergen Beach or Garrison Beach, people. It's deep. Generally, it's deep Brooklyn. Yeah. If yeah. you're not from here, you wouldn't know of it. You know, right. sometimes we have to generalize it and say we're from Coney Island or we're from South Brooklyn. What was it like, like at the time? Like in the early '90s? Like was it? Because uh, like right now, you go down to that area, and it's primarily like Eastern European. A lot of Eastern mm-hmm. Europeans, a lot of Italians, Irish Italians, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the Bergen Beach area that I grew up in was definitely like a, a very Italian neighborhood. I would say. Okay. Um, you know, I mostly. Italian and it was it was it was very nice, very quiet, very suburban, very tucked away. Sure, uh, you know, like it wasn't the uh, Urbana soaked uh, experience that you would you know kind of take away or assume from Brooklyn. I mean, the high school I went to in Canarsie was a little rough, South Shore High School, but the the neighborhood I grew up in and where I was when I started my first band, it was it was nice, Bergen Beach area. The guys I I met were all from the Bergen Beach Mill Basin area. 
we started our first band. And, and at the time, the club to play in Brooklyn was a club called Lemoore. Lemoore was like the St. Vitus of the time, like all the... And where was that? Lemoore was in Bensonhurst on 62nd Street between 15th okay. and 16th Avenue. Okay. Yeah, Lamar. Like straight south of here, basically. Yeah, yeah, it was in an area that now you could, if you if you drove past it now, you would never assume that anything happened there. But that's what what, what, what that's what Brooklyn was like then. Sure, there wasn't this like Williamsburg scene or Bushwick cool knit, cool vibe or Bedside. There was none of those things started to really develop until the aughts. I mean, the, the whole Bushwick, you know, explosion was probably 08, but I mean, right. Williamsburg was probably 01. But now I'm talking like 94. It seems so, like a lot of the rock scene at the time. Because like now, when people hear about a rock scene, especially if you're local, you hear about it. It's like Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. But like back then, it was like Manhattan, Manhattan. Yeah, Brooklyn. Manhattan. Uh, that's what I was. That's what I was kind of start, starting to yeah. claw at. As I, I'm, I'm trying to not go too far around uh, 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 and meander. But <laughs> really, there wasn't a specific Brooklyn scene. What Brooklyn was when I was growing up, the scene was Biohazard, Typo Negative, and Life of Agony. That's those were the, fun. Yeah, those were the three bands that were that had gotten to a point where they had gotten known. Maybe one of them were, was on Roadrunner Records at the time. Roadrunner wasn't a huge major. It was like a, a legit heavy weight um metal indie sure. uh, but those are the three bands that were from the area that i came from metal was what was associated with brooklyn there wasn't a coolness there wasn't any kind of a style or any stylistic uh you know like it's kind of typical of a lot of cities too especially like all the major cities i've lived in mm-hmm. there's always like a vibrant i will not, will not say vibrant but there's an active metal and punk scene always yeah but anything higher tier than that it's like people just didn't tend to graduate any higher than like the local metal, like there was never like a standout, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone wants to rebel. Everybody rebels together, but no one kind of like you know rises yeah, up. Yeah, but everybody's still got to borrow mom's car or whatever. E- exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, th- at least you know th- to, to encapsulate it, the Brooklyn that I was growing up in, it was there wasn't the scene that there is now. There wasn't like a hundred different places to play. There was a club called Lamore in the middle of Bensonhurst that if you didn't know it was there, you know, I mean, y- you would walk right past it. And what was uh, the vibe at those shows? Was it like very the, like... No, Lamore, I mean, Lamore itself, I, I mean, because the first year of playing in a band, 1994, we the band I was in, this band called Rise with my really good friends, um, uh, we played uh, that club Lamore, I'd say six times that year, like once every other month. And it was like I'd say, like it was the St. Vitus of the time. It was like a 350, 400 cap. I mean, okay. we, were yo- we, we, we were young. I mean, at the time, we, I mean, you know, underage drinking was like totally chill, at least the nights that we played there. <laughs> That's what of, I've heard about New York in the had 90s. Had a lot of well, crazy yeah. fun. You know, I mean, the shows were really, you know, you get all your friends to come. It was a lot, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, by the second year of playing, we moved into playing in Manhattan. And that's when we got into playing CBGBs, got into playing a place called The Spiral, which isn't there any longer, which yeah, was right across the street from yeah. Mercury Lounge. We also got into place uh, The Pyramid Club, which is still there. Very funky, very crazy, very wacko outside club that's been there for a long time. They've done rock shows over the years we played there, etc. So then we moved into playing in the city, and then the next few years of, of playing in bands through the 90s was mostly playing in the city. You didn't really seek out gigs in Brooklyn, or at least the band that I was in, playing kind of metal-ish kind of music. Sure. Uh, you know, and pre-internet, pre-really realizing how you can even go about getting traction on being in a band. Right, like, you, you just kind of went through it and you did just the flyers. Just kind of thinking some dude is going to walk past your practice space and discover you or something. Now, what like, were the, that's you know? something I have a question about too. Mm-hmm. What were the crowds like? So like when you're talking about Lemoore, right, you said? Mm-hmm. So what was the crowd like at Lemoore's versus like the crowd up in the, up in Lower East Side? Uh, the crowd at Lemoore was way more like, um, like uh, I mean, I don't want to use such a was stupid Lamore term. All, like, was it all metal. ages? 
Uh, Lamar, Lamar had all ages nights. Yeah, okay. Uh, but it definitely, Lamar was like 18 to enter, and then they'll stamp you to drink. Right, so right, they, right. Like, they wanted to keep those doors open, but Lamar, by the time we got there in 94, Lamar was definitely a lot more in the hair metal world. Okay. Like, people who were dressing more in that style. Of people, yeah, yeah. You know, the whole part of going out as a fan, being on display, like, you know, as much as the band, like, that kind of style that wasn't really so much the grunge or punk thing that maybe I adopted, the working man's kind of, like, you know, show up and... Right. Well, the popular thing at the time, like grunge hit really hard, Mm -hmm. but glam metal had been like the thing for a while. What existed basically in in Brooklyn at that time was like different strands of metal and like the the metal that was at the forefront of the Moors. I mean, those. You still see a lot of that out on Long Island, too. Like Mm -hmm. you'll see those like they don't dress like, uh, you know, um, they don't dress in the hair metal style as much. It's Mm -hmm. more toned down, but they're still. The hair is still teased up. Yeah. The, so the vibe know. at Lamore was just party. When we got into Manhattan, the vibe was more serious. Like, if you're any good, I guess we'll sit through you. If you if you suck, like, no one really cares. Right. That was the vibe as soon as we got to okay. Manhattan. So, like, Lamore they'd, they'd was stay like, in... Lamore was just, like, everybody's drunk having Lamore a good time. Lamore was like, all your friends could come. They could all get in. Right, it's it's right, right, right in the middle of Brooklyn. We don't even know why or how, you know? Like, and it turns into kind of a party, whereas Manhattan was... You're playing with grown-ups, because I was 16 at the time. Like, more of the bands are grown-ups. Like, either, you know, you catch someone's ear or you don't. But it's, it was just a little bit more of a real uh, or realistic take You'd have a things. tougher crowd in Manhattan, Definitely, for sure. definitely, okay. in those in those years. So I think I probably exhausted the question. I don't know. I'll, no, I'll that's all right. It. I want to yeah. pass it over to Paul and just kind of get the idea. Because, Paul, you're, like I said, about 10 years later. So you're, what you're like, 16 in, what, 94, you said? So you're 16 in, like... Ought for is yep. that about right? Pretty much, yeah. And by that point, I know rock had kind of like come through again in a more diverse way, uh, because like yeah, yeah, yeahs and like those kind of bands came through around two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah. So but I was, I mean, in two thousand and one, I was in seventh grade. So fair enough. So yeah. I, I wasn't. Uh, I don't know what I was listening to. What was ever was on um, like MTV at that time. Sure. Right? Yeah. Back when MTV right. mattered. Yeah. And, and that, it, it was like the top, the total request live and all that stuff. I guess, right. But that's how I got my music. There was still no internet. There was like, you know, I was just, uh, the only magazines I was really reading was like drum magazines. So I got sure. some weird metal stuff because a lot of metal drummers were on the covers of those oh, magazines. Oh, like Tools Drummer and like Danny Carey yeah, and, and all like those Morgan guys Rose, were really big. Yeah. Seven Dust or something yes. like that. Like, like, yeah. like that. So I, I started peeking into that or like, you know, John Dolmayan from System of a Down. Like that led yes. me to, to listen to System of a Down. There was a lot of really fantastic drummers during that like new metal, right. strange punk days. See, that was on MTV2. Yes. Which I didn't have, I didn't have that. Yeah, MTV2 was I didn't have that a slap in the face. <laughs> like, but then they also had weird bands like uh, Cold or like shit like that. I mean, remember, remember Cold? Like, yeah. Or well, like, I remember in uh, 2002, 2001 when the big System of a Down record came out. Yeah. And, uh, and me and my buddies after band practice would turn on MTV to try to catch the Chop Suey video. Yeah. Yeah, right. that like trying to like catch the video that Yeah, you and if you didn't you catch it, and we were like always really thrilled like when we caught the video. Yeah. Whatever it happened to be, yeah. you know. But that that was when MTV only played music like late later. Right, right. Well they they did, they did have that one hour a week like after school which yeah. was request live which yeah. I, I remember the day and you know I, I'm not ashamed to say this like I, my, one of my first real obsession bands was Blink-182. Sure. And that was, you know, 2001 was their uh, thir- uh, second really big album after yeah. the Enema of the State album. Yes, yeah. And they now were all over the place. Right. And then that was when they were running around naked in the in the streets right. in the music video. And then the 
second, the album right after that, their second like real big uh, major label was Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Yes, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That was that one. And that was all over MTV at the time. It was everywhere, along with what Aaliyah was gone already. But like there was that, there was... was that, but there was a nice melange yeah. of like Eminem, some, some 41. Spears, some 41. <laughs> but it was like a mix of like, and so it was always a competition of like, is like some 41 going to beat... Britney Spears this week right and there's always a crowd of people in Times Square or whatever screaming their heads off I don't exactly know what was the criteria to get upvoted or whatever like did you have to call in nobody knew yeah it was it was a different time payola probably yeah 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 but, um, so that's you coming up and like you're getting interested in drums and that yep. kind of stuff. And then, you know, you're growing up not too far from where Ev is. Yep. Did, your, did your older cousin like yep. take you to shows and stuff? Or? Not, not at that point in all right, time. All right. We, uh, we really didn't get uh, closer until like maybe I was like 15 or 16. Okay. I had lived in uh, California for a couple of years. So he was oh, kind of okay. away. But now, I, now how, did you, how did you start getting into like going to shows in town? Um, see, there really was. So where I, where I grew up was kind of similar uh to where i've grew up but a different part like i lived in garrison beach okay so just to interrupt this is ev very isolated if you couldn't tell yeah it's very i with garrison beach and bergen beach the areas that we both grew up in you'd have very to, similar but different very similar but the one the main similarity you'd have to catch a bus if, you, if you're young and want to wanted to get out wanted to get somewhere yeah you catch a bus and be on the bus for a good 25 minutes before you get to the subway oh uh, okay 35 to 40 minutes at to least a different neighborhoods to get to manhattan so we it was an isolated type of scenario. Like sure. I had to really like seek kids out in my neighborhood, basically based on the fact of who had a mullet at the time or who wore a Metallica right. shirt. Now we're there. There was no internet or Facebook, so like I couldn't kind of relate with where he's getting. Like it was a little bit claustrophobic almost when you wanted to be in a band and lived where we did and the pre-internet, pre-simple to hook up with other people who wanted to do what you wanted to do. Age. So that's why I just wanted to pipe in for a sec to like I didn't really re- mention like. Bergen Beach, Garrett's Beach, it's like this isolated area where there isn't a venue. There's right. barely like a, a record store. You well, know? I grew up like, in a rural area that was very similar. Yeah, like the, so, when you drive across the Midwest and you see those places where like you're on the highway and you see a small town with like a McDonald's, like right by the highway, that's the town I grew up in. Yeah. Right. And it was the same kind of deal. Now, now, the way we got around is we'd have house shows. And, and they weren't too common because it was very difficult to find the parent that was cool with that. Is yeah. that something that happened where you guys I were? Mean, we didn't get exposed to house shows until we started playing New Jersey house shows when we got involved with a bunch of college kids who liked the band maybe in 2012. I was just going to hand back over to Paul, but Paul's scenarios, Paul joins this band with me, forms what we do together when he's just 19. So the first oh, okay. like year and a half of doing the band, because I was 29 and he was 19 when we started. So the first year and a half of doing the band, we would have to, for the most part, sneak him in, walk him in at load in and leave him inside because right. he's too young. Right. Or we have to say, hey, man, X his hand immediately. He's underage. So right. his show going like age, he was running around with me going and playing them kind of just based around like there weren't too many shows in our Area, so, so that's like, also kind of isolated too. Yeah. Maybe you can speak you know, to that, yeah, Paul. Like, yeah. no, it's all right. No, no. I, I mean, I thought that would be a helpful. No, thank <laughs> taking the microphone thank back. Hey, I love to hold the microphone. He knows my history better than I do. Well, that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair. It's a family affair. But uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but I, I did have band experiences before I was in this band. Oh, because I, I did. That's like, like that's I, like I, telling I, my kids I was married before. I, I, I did like music and and do musical things before I was in this. Sure. Band. Not, nothing. Now, obviously, I seem, nothing crazy. Or I seem anything, to remember but, you telling me a couple years ago that like jazz was kind of like your bag. 
like too well, as a drummer. Yeah, that was yeah. that was yeah. Like when I was in high school, I was in the jazz band in high school, and that like got me uh, exposed to a lot of different music. Got me to go to Japan with the school. Like uh, somehow one of the ex uh, uh, not ex uh, alumni of my uh, high school, yeah. Severian High School in in uh, Bay Ridge or Diker, I guess. Yeah. Um, became a mayor of a city in Japan and he came back and wanted to have our like just have like a cultural like kind of like exchange sure thing. yeah and yeah yeah he, uh, he organized us to go I was on a 10-day jo- tour of Japan that's fantastic when I was 15 you that's know? So fantastic like, yeah it was crazy so like I mean not to not to I mean obviously all my amazing musical experience and my real like growth experiences happened from the time I joined the band with this sure guy. sure but um, well and there's always that kind of feeling and you can probably attest to this when you're first doing shows but there's that feeling where like you're really young and you're kind of not supposed to be there yeah like our, did you find that that was kind of like that our, yeah our first shows like wasn't there was no alternative entrance it was just get there super early and hope that no one notices that i yeah, yeah. don't have pubes yet or, or something or that I, like, like that i only ordered a coke yeah basically yeah. <laughs> but i honestly i wanted to, i wanted to kind of come full circle on this like um, my first gig also when I was like 13 was at also at Lemoore's. Okay. And I got to, it really was the spot that it really was. So that's, that was the, it was a very similar experience even then. But by the time I was playing there a decade later, it was already, it was like, wasn't it like a a dance club? It was like panache. It it became like a, like also on like certain nights. It it, it closed in late, like 97, 96. So I I might be, I might be wrong with the time. Like switched owner. Yeah. Then reopened as, you know, Lemoore's, but with also like a nightclub attached, I believe. I understand. Okay. So that was like my first, my first, first, first band, which I don't even, I don't count as a band. Yeah, yeah. Just basically, we did like, you know, the punk rock pop covers of the time. Sure. But um, that was my first. So we had to like, we, we got print out of our tickets and we had to cut them out ourselves. Yes, I remember that. Yes, oh, that sucked. Yeah. Early aughts, like late 90s, yeah. that was, you, they made you like sell yeah. a certain amount. You had to at least, we had to at least bring 25 people yeah. to even like, and like that was, just, they didn't care if the people actually showed up. We just had to at least pay for those right, people. Right, right, exactly. Give them the money over before we could actually walk They wanted the their guarantee ahead of yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. So that was now. I have a question for you guys because that brings to mind a practice that I've heard about that wasn't happening when I was younger. I'm like, you guys are telling me your experiences. I'm like right between the two of them. <laughs> um, but um, now they say they take a, a share of the merch. Has that ever happened to you guys? Oh, Is that they, something you might remember better than me? But that, I think that did happen to us a, a, a couple of times. On the uh, a handful of years ago, we did a tour with Black Flag opening for them. Yes, we, we yeah. talked to you about that was the it. U.S. tour or the European uh, tour. The U.S. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. And so uh, obviously on that tour, we were playing venues that were over our heads that we wouldn't have been pl- we wouldn't have been rolling into town playing House of Blues Anaheim sure. unless we were opening for Black Flag. Sure. So at those venues, at a handful of the larger venues, thousands, three thousand seat, two thousand seat. Uh, one of the rules that was put in place, the management will come over and say, okay, here's, uh, here's, they give you basically a clipboard mm-hmm. and they'd want you to Ooh, basically keep in it. We, we, we kept it fuzzy because we didn't really, like, I wanted to put it at the bottom of my memory too, but I remember it very clearly. <laughs> they would come over and give you a clipboard and this wasn't every one of them, but the, but the big enough venues that, you know, they would come over, and give you a clipboard and say, please keep an inventory. And we take a percentage of the merch at the end of the night. Oh, that is such bullshit. And we and I remember at the time. What percentage just, did they take? You know, I mean, I, I think based on like the fact that we were the opening band, it might yeah. have been a smaller percentage sure, of Black sure. Flag. 
Uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to throw the number out there because I don't re I don't remember what it was, but it was something that was substantial enough that we were concerned. Yeah, you know, wasn't like there a time too that like we didn't sell enough and they were they were like, this is it or something. They were like kind of pissed off that that we occupied that real estate. And didn't they were like, yeah, one of the nights they were questioning our inventory, yeah. you know, because like we were, we were showing that we showed, you know, sold four shirts and like, you know, how could, when you got, sure. you know, a thousand people, yeah, when you got a thousand people that had, you only sell four shirts. It's like, yeah, right. we're not black flag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're not Let, here to see us. You should have saw us last night. They yeah. bought all the shirts yeah. last <laughs> night, miss. You know, but it's just like, you they know, didn't take a cut of it either. yeah. And they didn't take a cut, but some of the bigger places definitely were doing that. And that was, a handful of, that was four or five years ago so right, I'm sure right, that's right, become right. way more commonplace well you I see it on Twitter you see people talk about it and they're just like what why how are people supposed that's like the one way as my understanding over the years has been that's like the one way for a band to actually make a little oh, money uh, only way I can yeah. tell you now for that that tour we just talked about we yeah. both quit our jobs because that was a four month tour right, so right. we had to quit our jobs to do it because you go and do that tour period then you to survive the day to day yeah. period the way yeah. we got through on that tour was selling all the merch that we did right we, right you know, like that was the that was what put us into the survival area. So that yeah, is most tours to this day. I mean, to whenever we go to Europe or I mean, whenever we do anything, it's always we're assuming or hoping that we're going to get a little chunk of change in our pocket, a certain from, amount to get you, through to the next. You're right, really living like you like never, hand to mouth. Yeah. yeah, the guarantee is never guaranteed. Yeah, that's it, it. It really is true. You know, so like relying on the merch for a band, especially a band on the road. When you're like basically on a ship in the middle of the ocean, hoping that you don't take on too much water to go under, you know the merch is the goddamn ore. Right. You know, I right. mean, so it's really a shame. I think like, and especially because there is no other, there is no infrastructure built in to make any sort of money anyway. No, like, you're you always know. dealing with whoever's right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Now let me ask you, um, um, New York today, right? Clearly, very different. You know, we're living in Giuliani and Bloomberg's New York, as the older folks in this neighborhood call it. Um, so, like, how is it different today than it was when you guys got started, right? Because you've been going about, what, 10 years now? Uh, 11 yeah. and a half. Yeah, so you've been going a while. Like, that's longer than most bands go in the city, as far as I can tell. So what's different now than the when, back in the day when you got started? And and is it, what's better, what's worse, can I just say one thing? And I'm just going to hand both mics to you guys. Oh, okay. Sure. The, the place where I, where I grew up in Garrison Beach is exactly the same. <laughs> Nothing has changed. It's just an Irish shanty town where, you know, I mean, I don't want to say like too much negativity about it, but it's, it's, I go down there and it's just like, it's exactly the same. Nothing has changed. There's still no like real activity as far as like music or anything like that. I mean, there's like cover bands and cover I mean even the place where I live today I live in Bay Ridge I mean there's really not any music scene so like as far as Brooklyn is concerned it's just been deduced down to like Bushwick and Williamsburg and that we have seen change over the last over a decade immensely from playing like bombed out like pickle factories that now we go there and it's just like it's an actual venue or something like you know what I mean but so like we I think we speak more to like I mean I personally feel like I could speak more to the those parts of Brooklyn rather than like the actual like Manhattan because also Manhattan is kind of the same too in a lot of ways I mean like the the, the types of music are different but we've found over the years that there's really no reason for a band like us to even like venture into Manhattan to even really play unless the bill is like perfect or the timing is right or whatever you know so it's Why do you think yeah that, is? that's that really has happened I mean I because uh, there I mean 
The venues in Manhattan that were there, uh, I guess, folded in the face of the explosion of Brooklyn. Uh, there hasn't been really, over the last few years, there isn't really a venue kind of left over there. At one point, like that Ludlow Street, um, et cetera, where, like where Pianos and Cake Shop and Arlene's Grocery, which somehow is still there, uh, and like Fat Baby. And there used to be a bunch, there was a whole strip, a bunch of places to play over there, et cetera. And then it kind of like slowly those all went away, those all folded. And then um, I, it's, it's hard to really explain, but I'd say for the last two or three years for us to go play a gig in Manhattan, it, it's fairly rare. There isn't really much of a reason. There isn't really much of a... Like what's the uh, place you would go? To Manhattan to play, to, to wait, play a gig like, like if, or like, to well, see if, a show. If someone like offered offered us a gig, which one would be the place to be like, okay, yeah, well, we should do that. Like, there's so many. I feel like there's times where we, we get offered a gig in Manhattan and it's just like, ah, no, like we're not gonna. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess it's, it's the feeling that like there isn't really much of a of a of a of a want in Manhattan any longer. Uh, like it used to be like maybe like pianos or something. We'd be like, oh yeah, we do a gig of pianos. But like, yeah, I mean, it's even there now. It's like it's it's hard. Yeah, we've been doing it for eleven and a half years. Yes, uh, in eleven and a half years time, there's been uh, eleven thousand bands that we've seen come and go. Um, you know, I mean, we love to do it. We found the reason why we do it, which is why we're still doing it at eleven and a half years. You know, it's it's because of the therapy and the love. You know, so I mean, I guess some bands don't hang around long enough for the miracle. Uh, if you want to, if you want to kind of put it that way, but, uh, you know, the miracle takes a lot of backbreaking and a lot of questioning of everything for you to finally get the miracle of like, Oh, I do this cause I love it. That's the only reason not for anyone else's opinion of it or where I've gone or what I'm doing with it. But anyway, over that time, the 11 and a half years that we've done it, Brooklyn has changed immensely. You know, I mean the whole, uh, beds, I mean, Williamsburg was exploding when we started, you know? I mean, it was, you know, as you mentioned earlier, 02, 03, 04, da, 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 TV on the radio, yeah, yeah, yes. Of course, Williamsburg is happening, real, real Williamsburg. Paul and I started in 08. Essentially, all the Brooklyn gigs are in Williamsburg, and they're starting to migrate into Bushwick. And we're like, Bushwick? We're scratching our head. Bushwick? Yeah, we're on, now we're on Shoal Street in Bushwick or, you know, whatever, you know, street that we're on in Bushwick doing this show, doing that show. Then it's 2009 and now almost all the good shows are in these bombed out places in Bushwick. And we're like, hmm, and then it's 2010 and now some of those bombed out places in Bushwick are, are developing, but there's places to play in bed too. And we're like, oh, this is interesting. And well, I've been noticing this pattern too. Mm -hmm. I've been here since 2010. Gotcha. And I've noticed that like when I got here, Williamsburg was it. Mm -hmm. Bushwick, you didn't go play in Bushwick. Nope. And now... And people may not realize this, like literally like over a year, like you'll see that you follow the same bands and they'll play all play at these two, three places. Mm -hmm. And then it moves a little further east the next year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon because that doesn't happen in other cities. Yeah. It's you know? been it's been it's been slowly kind of dribbling in a direction like that. It's well, East Williamsburg now. That's yeah. like what they kind of call it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, now no. it's like on the map. East yeah, Williamsburg. yeah, which is essentially just like Ridgewood, which is just like Queens, which again, it's just dribbling further away from the Lower East Side. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like if if like hardcore punk and all that stuff in in New York in like 1980, like and everything was based around 7A and where all those hardcore shows were, like, and then the Lower East Side was where a lot of stuff was all through into the 90s. Then by the beginning of the aughts, it jumped across the water to Williamsburg. Definitely by the tens. Williamsburg was the spot, but it migrated and, 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 and blew out into, like we said, Bushwick, Bed-Stuy, East Williamsburg. But it's just been this thing where it's like, as the venues close, the, the neighborhoods broaden their shoulders in the other direction further. The neighborhoods get shinier, so the venues really wouldn't even have a place to begin with in that neighborhood. I worked at the Grand Victory uh, uh, for about maybe two years as a bouncer. 
Paul and I played the Grand Victory probably 25 times. We, we, we played a lot of great shows there. It was a fun place on Grand Street between Driggs and Roebling, I think. Uh, that was a really, you know, like, uh, important place for a lot of bands. A lot of cool stuff happened there. You know, like, I mean, now when I walk down that street, it's been closed for over two years. Uh, it hasn't reopened as anything new. The street doesn't even seem like it would house uh, 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 any kind of venue. It hasn't opened as anything else. No, let alone Trash Bar was across the street from Grand Victory. There used to be two kind of like, you know, go-to punk venues on that street. You go through certain areas of Williamsburg now, and it doesn't seem in any way, shape, or form like the Williamsburg of 10 years ago, which was the place. I mean, I just was at Williamsburg last Friday at Union Pool uh, seeing the Mesthetics, which is uh, a band. Shout out to Union Pool. I actually, I like that venue a lot. I, I was I was I mean the the back room with where the show happened was delightful. Uh, it was really great. As I was exiting Union Pool, not to sound like a you know grandpa old curmudgeonly whatever, but it was the same vibe as I was exiting Union Pool as I had gotten the last times I was exiting venues in Manhattan. We played like pianos or like uh, something like that. Where as you leave the room where the where the band was playing. The other rooms have no idea there was any music happening, and now they are flooded. That is 100% true. Flooded. That is 100% and true. And not to sound like I'm not Bridge and Tunnel, because, I mean, I'm from Brooklyn, so to get Manhattan, I'm Bridge and Tunnel, but it's flooded with every Bridge and Tunnel person from every suburb everywhere that's in Manhattan yeah. just to be at a cool bar. So, like, what, what I saw as I was leaving the Mesthetic show on Friday night was uh, this really cool space that I walked into, like, two hours earlier, become, like, a beehive of... Of of young nightlife, yeah, which is different. Fine. It's like it's a different experience. Yeah, just though. not yeah. really what I was interested in. I was running. I was I got there and I'm like, this is amazing. I was and running. Union out Pool of there really the is the right in the middle of it. Like it oh. really is. That location is is yeah. It's because it's, it's right by the big diner off of Metropolitan, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. held on to that lo that locality. It's held on to for years and years. That's one of the few venues over all the years. I don't think that Paul and I have ever played. Uh, I think the other night was the first time I've seen a band there. They've I've got a different vibe too. Like it's definitely a different vibe. Yeah. Like giraffes are playing there in August. They're doing their their EP release, and I was yeah. like, I was like, really? I, that's be a weird place to see them. Yeah. Doesn't seem big enough for them. Yeah. 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 I, I was surprised at how small it was when I was seeing the Mesthetics there. The Mesthetics are the the rhythm section from Fugazi, uh, Brendan Canty and Joe Lally, and right. then this amazing guitar player. They're a trio. So. Um, I was, I mean, it, it was, it was sold out, but it's like the room holds a hundred people. So like, you yeah. can't really be in a bad spot. Every but, place um, that I've, anytime I've been there, I'm always end up like, cause I'm a big tall guy. I don't mm -hmm. like to stand in front of people yeah. and I always end up kind of like up on the stairs oh, those or stairs. like, yeah, it's consideration. A, I'm huge. I'm see, I, well, no, I had a guy call me out at a show there too. He's like, my girlfriend can't see. And I'm like, don't tell her not to stand behind me. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what do we look around? That's how us. it goes. So, um, so what, did, what did, what kind of advice would you have for somebody in New York? Like, because you guys are definitely like, I'm not going to call you a niche, but you're definitely like a specific taste. Yeah. Right? For sure. A specific for sure. flavor of music. For sure. Um, and, and for metal bands, let's say in particular, because that's kind of where people, I'd say you're not you're not entirely metal, but people, people kind of lump you in there. Where do you go? Where do you go to see shows? Like, Vitus is like the, the metal place. Like, that's the place. Is there, are there other places that you kind of branch out into? Not even where you play, but like, where do you go to see shows when you go out, hmm. or do you just go see Billy Joel at the Garden? Like, <laughs> he flies in on a helicopter. Right here. That's what I hear. Yeah. yeah, he lands on the top of MSG, and uh, he plays a set, and then gets flown. Yeah, 
back to Long Island. Yeah, I would be too if I'm playing that shit every fucking night for yeah. God knows how long. But he's, I guess he's making like five million dollars a week. So what is he worth? <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably doing okay. I guess. Yeah, he's fine. I guess. Where, where do you go? I thought you were gonna ask where we, where would you play shows if you're a band? That would be more. That well, would be... Uh, either or because well, okay, let me see. So seeing a band is a different experience than playing a show. I've actually never played a show in New York. I haven't been in a band in New York. So I know that there's places that bands like to play. So give me the inside baseball there. But also, like, as a fan, where do you go? And if the answer is just St. Vitus, that's fine. Then just tell me what, like, tell me what, what do you, what is it about that place that you like? Well, in terms of, like, places to go to see a show, um, or if I just go by the shows that I've gone and seen this year, uh, and I don't know if that maybe that, that leans more in the direction of they were bigger bands, but I, I had good I had good um, experiences at these shows, so I guess it's worth mentioning. Like I saw when I saw Mesthetics at Union Pool uh, last Friday, that was great. Um, it was perfect. It was really good for them. Their sound. It was a really good experience. It was crawling with everyone possible by the time I left, but that's fine. Uh, I was there too. I was one of them. <laughs> so uh, uh, I would say that you know, among all the fallen venues of Williamsburg, I definitely had a good time seeing uh, them at Union Pool. I hope that that giraffe show goes great at Union Pool. Uh, we we were that weekend. We were supposed to have a gig up in the Catskills that I don't know that it ever materialized. <laughs> rocking the Catskills. Yeah. Why not? So who knows? Maybe we'll wind up at it. But nonetheless, uh, aside from that. I saw um, I saw Bikini Kill uh, two nights in a row at the King's Theater when they did they did a whole like uh, four or five shows of a whole reunion block. Where, where is that? Uh, King's Theater is uh, on, on Flatbush Avenue, Flatbush in, in Brooklyn by like the Parkside uh, Avenue stop on the Q trains by okay, Prospect yeah. Park. It's a theater that's been there for uh, I guess been there for I'm gonna guess hundreds of years, hundred years. I don't know the exact detail. When you walk in, it's majestic. It fills your eyeballs with a lot of beautiful, and the sound is really cool. Uh, I know Paul had told me he saw Tenacious D there, I yes. think, uh, last year and was singing the praises of the venue. So that's a venue. Obviously, you need to be able to, you know, fill it up. But, you know, that seeing Bikini Kill there was great. I had a great experience at King's Theater. I saw Idols at Terminal... Uh, no, not Terminal 5, because uh, I don't really like Terminal 5. I saw Idols at Brooklyn Steel. I was going to say Brooklyn, Brooklyn Steel, Steel, too. And Paul yeah. and I saw uh, Afghan, Afghan Wigs, Wigs at Brooklyn Steel. Steel. That's on Frost Street in what is a, essentially kind of where Williamsburg and Bushwick, I guess, meet. Mm -hmm. So Paul and I saw Afghan Wigs at Brooklyn Steel last year, and I saw Idols at Brooklyn Steel this year, and I really liked Brooklyn Steel. I, I like it's it's big, but it sounds really good. Uh, it was I, I I had a good time at it. It was a good um, good show. And then like my favorite of the big venues, and because I guess we have a personal um, link to that. Not that we have that many personal links to to, to big venues, but um, I saw Daughters uh, at Warsaw. And Warsaw is a place that's spe special to Paul and I. One of the first, like, really, like, big, large numbers-wise shows oh, yeah. ever played was at Warsaw in 2013. And uh, we we remember that date, and it's like a special like thing for us. And the sound on stage, as an as as a person playing at Warsaw with this really thick, beautiful wooden stage, was amazing. Yeah. And the sound out in Warsaw when you're a fan. If you're in the wrong spot, it could almost be too loud, too much, you know. But uh, where where I was for daughters, which was just a couple of heads into like the middle of everything. I mean, I had a great time at that show. Um, so those are all, I guess, more per se larger scale venues. But they've ones I've actually been to in 2019 that I had a good time at. Like I think, like I said, Warsaw lives on. 
I've seen a lot of shows that I really like there. We got a chance to play the, there. It's its own kind of little ecosystem, like this Polish uh, like event house that sells bratwurst. Like it's just there's a thing to Warsaw. I think that you don't get just anywhere else. So I think that's kind of a special venue to see a show, or if you're lucky enough to play one, or if you're a big band who's coming through town and that's just your normal stop, then you should appreciate it because that's a fun one. Uh, but the small smaller clubs, I mean, I would say I just I was just at um, elsewhere. That's kind of a new club oh, that like yeah, just, I want to go there. I want to go there. That just it just opened up recently, kind of right. Like elsewhere, new. it's the last two years and it's enormous. Yeah, it's, it's bigger than I thought it was going to be. I keep saying it reminds me of an old like Christian youth center, <laughs> right? But they yeah. have that amazing glass and whatever, yep, and the yep. sound's always good. Yep. Like you can tell they're trying real hard to be like a major player. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a it was a really good show. I saw um, Bad Books, which is the um, it's uh, Andy Hull and Kevin Devine. They're like uh, two. Artists that I that I really like, um, um, Andy Hull's from um, oh, I can't even remember the name of his band right now. What the hell's the name of Andy Hull's band? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Manchester Orchestra. Yeah, but I, I like I like Bad Books more than I like Manchester Orchestra because Bad Books has Kevin Devine, who is Kevin Devine is from Bay Ridge. He's Kev a, Dev. He's an awesome singer and songwriter, great guy. Um, respect. Yeah, mad respect to him. Um, but so they were playing there and they just did an acoustic set. And they packed the place out, and it was the sound was amazing. I mean, it was just a good vibe there. It, it didn't. I mean, I guess it's a little bit of an older crowd, so maybe you know it wasn't like a lot of like young kids, but kind of like it, it reminded me of like Le Passion Rouge, but without all the stupid bullshit that happens after a show at Le Passion Rouge happens, um, like the club aspect that kind of just goes down. The, the out thing of nowhere. is, is like elsewhere's got a kind of smaller club vibe, but security will come pull your ass out too. Oh yeah, they kicked us straight out. Yeah, yeah, they kicked us straight out. Then you know I'm always looking for one more beer, and that wasn't that wasn't happening to me that night. We we got kicked straight out. And um, what was that other? Pl- oh, I was thinking about the um the Bell House too. Um, I had seen a couple of shows there, and that's not like I wouldn't say that the the sound is that great or like anything is particularly great about it. But I've seen some shows there, and it seems like it's a, you know it has people and has kind of like a a little bit of a built in crowd, so it could be a cool place to to play or to you know to go like just hang out for a night. Um. And uh, I feel like there was maybe one more. Isn't uh, Lightning Bolt playing a gig soon at some place? That did you did you see that they're, they're at, at some place that I've seen the name of the of the venue? Uh, it, it definitely went through my feed, and I was like, "Oh, they're coming! Oh, gotta gotta see that!" Is but that open air, yeah, open air. Like I don't, okay, I mean, I've not I, heard I, of that. I feel yet. like is it say it's in Brooklyn? Does it say? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just that popped into my head just because I had seen it just like maybe probably like two days, like a day yeah. or two ago, and I want to go. So uh, it's almost time to close it out. Okay, we but should, uh, we but go to that. yeah, but I, I wanted to ask you uh, one last thing, which is, what are you listening to now? Like, what's the what's something that you're like? Because you mentioned idols before, which, by the way, I've just been playing the hell out of the whole oh, last yeah. year. It's very listenable. Yes, but uh, so very lovable. So, what's a band like? Give me like a couple recommendations each. Like, what do people just need? Like, you need other people to listen to this music, and it could be old too. It could be something you just discovered, yeah. something new. What do people any and it's even local? Like, what do people look out for? Ooh, well. It's, you know, well, that, that you got know. me into the Idols recently, which is very nice. Yeah, I, I, Idols is definitely something that, like, you know, I mean, it, it's just very listenable. Both the Brutalism album and the Joy is an Act of Resistance album, the whole thing, uh, they deliver the goods. Um, I definitely, this year, got into that band Daughters I mentioned earlier. Uh, they made a really, really great album. I really, really love it a lot. 
Uh, I've listened to King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. I told on myself earlier I want to come out again and tell on myself <laughs> I'm into you, King Gizzard. I will not go see you at Central now, Park because that sounds like a nightmare, but I want to see you live do, one day with your there Wizard a, and Is there wizard. a gimmick to them? Or do they have like no, a gimmick? No, they're, they're, they're from Australia maybe. They have two yeah. drummers and the, and like they... they, uh, they I don't know if they record the tape. Everything sounds like it was recorded in 1977, but not in like a bad way, in a good way. Oh, okay. They just uh, sound like they'd be like uh, Guar or like Ghost or something yeah, like no, that. Yeah, no, they're, they're, they're it's, not. It's like a really, a much more listenable Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. I with a little tiny, with tiny hint of like a Zappa-y feeling here and oh, there, yeah. maybe. Or the, at least the name itself evokes the Zappa. Lauren like, mentioned Zappa. She's like, oh, this this stuff's kind of like Zappa. <laughs> She's like, yeah. But, um, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, I've been I've been digging a lot, um, and uh, also I uh, well actually, there's a lot of Frank Sinatra on my phone, but I'm not turning anyone out, I'm not right. turning anyone on to that. That's Everyone right. understands what that is, um, but it's worth mentioning. Oh, uh, this really great um, music writer named Brad uh, Cohen, who's been nice enough to cover us a bunch of times, mm-hmm. recently wrote an article about a band called Seventy Five Dollar Bill. Uh, and I had seen the name over the years in the avant-garde community, I guess, but I had never listened and I just checked out their new album. I was real. Mm -hmm. And I really want to just mention it because it was really, really great and out there. Uh, and I mean, I really, really feast on Mark Lanigan, anything Mark Lanigan, Mark Lanigan band or Mark Lanigan solo. Uh, and also, um, I really, really feast on Neil Young. I mean, whether that's, that's, he has a brand new Live album. He's been putting out a lot of stuff. This Tuscaloosa live. I think it's the band uh, that did the Tonight's the Nights Tonight's the Night album. It's mm. his band. He called the Stray Gators. He does. He actually. There's a live version of Alabama on this live Ooh, album. Yeah. Uh, so those are the things I think that I've been I've been listening to a lot. Uh, Apple Music is uh, like the my forced. A, a couple of years ago, I was in this whole anti digital anti-streaming thing it was brought upon me by honestly it it wasn't like oh because i'm robbing the artist or like look i've been a starving artist all my life i'm not really too worried (laughs) about like you know what 15 cents eddie van halen doesn't have in his pocket but the, the point is i had been a real big fan of the ipod invention i thought it was the coolest invention of all time I went through two different iPods. Like I had a one of them was an 80 gig and one was like maybe a 60, but they were both filled with like everything and they both died on me and I hadn't backed either one up. Now, of course, here I am, stupid human, not going with the whole tech thing of backing them up, but they both died. And after the second one died in like 07, I said, wait, wait, wait. I have hundreds of CDs. I spent all this sweat equity, all this time uploading CDs onto a computer to put them onto an iPod. Like, I'm going to listen a lot to my CDs, you know? And I remember I didn't have an iPod and Paul had an old little Nano and he's like, you poor, poor man. What are you doing trying to go no iPod? Like, oh, I understand, Ev, you're all hardcore, but give me a... Paul gave me a Nano and I put a couple albums on that Nano and I carried it around. I but forgot about that. But for a while, I, I got back into collecting compact discs and that was my main source. And it still is. If you, if you were to come to my apartment, I have like a thousand CDs out all in alphabetical order. I mean, I think what they call that nowadays is an idiot because, that, because they're really trying to push CDs as garbage. But the sound quality of the CD, like, it's just like kind of right on point for me. Like, you know, I mean... Well, I, and the sound quality is good too, but there's also something to be said about how you pick your music, right? Mm-hmm. So like, when you pick out a CD, you're making a commitment. Yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas when you're just on like the streaming or whatever, like Shuffle like Pan- around. Pandora is like 
Jesus take the wheel. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> and Spotify I've noticed is like, you have, you still have a prescribed playlist. Yeah. It's still your iPod. It's just on the cloud. And yeah. maybe there's a discovery aspect that you wouldn't have through an iPod, but with a CD, there is that tactile, like, this is what I'm listening to. Yeah. And I'm listening to all eight songs yeah. and then I'll pick out eight more, you know? And there's, that is a difference. Like you say, it's like, it's not an idiot thing. It's like, yeah. It's nice to switch up your consumption. Yeah, I I wrote it real. I wrote that really hard and stuck with that. Um, and then what it was, it, to be totally honest, another like telling yourself moment. When the most recent album that we had out, the last time we were on your show was in yep. 2017. We had an album called Man Bites Dog come out. Yep. Uh, and the day that came out, I was interested to see like, well, you know. If no one else in the world streaming it, maybe one person should. You know, it's like I thought I should start streaming. I want to hear. You I want can kick it off, get yeah, the ball let, rolling. Let me let me be the first person to stream it. So sure. at that point, like I went on my phone and I, and I broke down in 2017, and that's when I put Apple Music on my phone and started to pay the 9.99 a month subscription and make use of it. Uh, at first, kind of like feeling a little bit begrudging about the whole thing, and then just giving up over to the tech of today, and moreover, the fact that I'm a music lover. Sure, I don't deny my ear holes music getting into them. Well, so and you need that kind of like magic that we're all kind of chasing as music lovers. You're you're chasing those feelings, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that, that memory, and it takes you back to the rolodex of your life, so to speak. Yeah. So Apple Music has really been, I, I you know, for for someone who could like you know, oh, talk about physical and hard copy, which I do. I love my Apple Music. I do. I make use of it a lot. I use it on a daily basis. If so, if I read an article that mentions a band seventy five dollar bill and I don't know of it yet, or if I hear about some band that we might have a gig with, it's like, right there. Uh, you know, and it's yeah. like for me too. It's like I'll take a look and like, oh, did, did what label did a label put this out? Did they put it out themselves? How does this sound? You know, what? and there's something to be said like for shit. convenience oh. too, because you can just do it like that. In yeah, a second. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I do, I, I do subscribe there and, and do dig that. I don't know how I kind of got off topic to that. That's all right. But it's all right. I'm going to hand it over to Paul. All right, yeah, Paul. Tell me, tell me. So, like, what's you, what do you what do you um, what do people need to be listening to now? What's really getting you off right now? But like, what's something you know that's new that that you think people should uh, know about? Uh, something new that I I mean, literally, just came out with an album uh, like yesterday, two days ago. Is this band called Tupperware Remix Party? Uh, T W R P Twerp. Okay. Um, they're kind of got famous off of uh, YouTube. But their whole, I, I'm, I'm really into the fact that they're very creative. Like their whole, um, they have each band, each person has a persona. They're like almost like a, a modern day kiss. Okay. And their thing is like they're from the 1980s, but also the future. I so see. So they bridge that gap. And they're, I mean, but besides the fact that they have, a, each person has their own little gimmick. They're all, they all claim to be from a different planet. Sure, you never, sure. You never see their face. You never know. That nobody knows their names. So there's definitely like a fun. It's very, very fun. Right. It have to be. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing fun. But the, but the, what the, the kicker is they're virtuosic musicians. I okay. Mean, they're like the, the bass player, Commander Meowch. He's a fucking ripping bass player and the drummer too. I mean, he says he was birthed in Phil Collins' toilet. That's oh, how, all that's right. A, that's how. That's what he. That's how he quotes his his coming into existence. But he's dressed as a robot with the the, the lights coming out of his eyes. So there's definitely a gore vibe I as mean, well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But they're but they're 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 like '80s funk, like all right. instrumental. But they have like so the the um, the keyboard player. Uh, anytime they sing, he's got a talk box hooked up to his synth, yeah. so he talk sings and he pitch corrects his voice sure. on the fly. 
So, I mean, just watching them go at it and they never use any like samples. Everything is like created live. Okay. Um, they're just amazing, cool. amazing musicians. And uh, I mean, if you, I mean, if you never, if you've never seen them or like they just put out a new album, I don't know what it's called because I listen to it on Spotify. Sure. Sure. I don't know any of the names of any songs. That's part of the problem with Spotify. <laughs> like I just, the way we forget phone numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so when I, you know, when I'm listening to Spotify, I kind of just lose track of what I'm listening to, but, um, uh, so t- Tupperware Remix Party, TWRP, they're, they're definitely amazing. I always I always throw on the meters after... Um, yeah, that's always a really good, yeah. especially for a drummer. That's a- yeah, yeah, I've gotten, as I've gotten older, I've kind of slowed down my, my approach to drumming. Like when I was younger and first started playing with Ev, like I was very much like Travis Barker's like the best drummer ever. I'm sure. I'm pop punk. And I'm like speeding through fills and speeding up everything. But B- Booker T is a good one to go for if you're a big meters fan as well. Yeah. Booker T and the MGs. I've, I've never listened to that. Oh, dude! They did Green Onions. That's what they're famous oh, okay. for. Okay, I gotta check yeah. that out. I but like the out. rest of it's all they were like a really uh, they were instrumental. Like there's no singer for that band. Yeah, and so that was they came to they came uh, like Duck Dunn like whatever the Blues Brothers band was all like from that band as well. Wow. Yeah, yeah I gotta check that stuff. out for sure. I mean, I mean, I'm really into the funk lately. There's a band called uh, Wolfpack. Yeah, I know uh, Wolfpack. Yeah, um, they're another like virtuosic. Look for another one, Orgon. Oregon, O R G O N E. Okay. Very like uh, that same kind of like session band feel. But what very. was the first band? Burger T and the MGs. Yeah, that's one. Yeah, Green Onions. Right. Just look up Green Onions okay. and then just go from yeah, there. Yeah, man. Hey, now we're getting, your, we're getting your recommendations. Too. So yeah, right. So before we go into the pluggables, uh, real quick, in like two sentences or less, you guys are native New Yorkers. Why? Do, why do you love it? Ooh. Uh, like two. Keep it like one or yeah, two sentences. Yeah. What is it? Um, that keeps you here. Places like uh, Roland Roaster and Brendan Carr, shit like that. Like you probably wouldn't even. I don't know if anybody even knows about that shit, but like the the salt of the earth kind of nature. Yeah. Of, of where we grew up in in Brooklyn, that's kind of what I live in Bay Ridge, and I, I still feel that um, that vibe from where I where I grew up, and that's kind of what keeps me. We were just talking about this and moving and living in Bay Ridge together. Like that salt of the earth thing, kind of is what. It's just, it's just home. You know? All right. And Ev, what is it, what is it about? What keeps you here? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, as, as cliche as it sounds, it's just, everything is here. Uh, I've gone lots of places and everyone wants to come here. And when you are here, you don't really, I think, take it uh, as serious as others do when you go to other places and they realize where you're from. Like, this is really one of the greatest places in the world, New York, Brooklyn, etc. I mean, we have access to everything. It's probably the largest melting pot. We have the most cultures all on top of each other. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's really a great representation of what America could be like, I think, um, that all depends on your opinion of things. But, you know, what keeps me here, it's, uh, you know, it, it's the fact that, you know, it's not easy. You know, I think yeah. what keeps me here is that it's 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 you're a part of a an equation in flux when you're here. Well, and you get and you get the all the heartbreak, but you get the cream too. Yeah, it rises is, up. A lot of cream. Yeah, cream, so cream, much cream. cream like nowhere else on the subway, on the sidewalks, cream everywhere. Cream well, everywhere. okay, guys, hit me up. Uh, this has been Cinema Cinema. Yes. Evan Paul, hit me with your pluggables, guys. Okay. Uh, well, if you wanted to find us on uh, the interweb, like a website which I know that's very uh, old school for people, as we're just about to probably update our website, but you could find us at cinemacinemaband.com if you like to look at websites. It's got plenty of information. If you're a Facebook person or an Instagram person, then the handle is cinemacinemaband. 
if you're a Twitter person, it's just cinema, cinema. So that's that one early. We we, we, <laughs> we, we, we we did get lucky with that one. Good call. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, what's going on? I mean, I, we we are been led to believe that our our episode here may be airing in the fall time, as it currently is uh, the summertime. Yes. You know, I I've broken the wall. I'm sorry, sorry everybody. Yes. We're recording this in the summer. That's how it works. All the leaves are brown. Leaves are brown in the sky. So anyway, uh, by the time this airs, we should be just on the precipice of a brand new campaign. Uh, November 1st, we have an album coming out. November 8th, we leave for a West Coast tour. All those details will probably be really clear and in bright uh, neon colors by the time that we are posting this. So I'll just leave the dots to connect for then. Uh, but there is new music that is going into the atmosphere. There is dates. There are shows. There is travel. Uh, there is craziness. There is cinema cinema coming at you all the time, like usual. So that's pretty much where we're at. I, I concur. Yes. All right, well, Cinema Cinema, thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you, man. Hell yeah. So that's it from Cinema Cinema. Those guys are, I, I love those guys. They're really cool guys. They're not afraid to explore in their music, but uh, they've got a broad variety of things that they like, and they're not really snobby about music either, which a, a lot of people in the experimental scene can be kind of like, I don't know, you know, you listen to that, whatever. They listen to everything. They take it all in. They digest it. They spit it out in a very creative way. They've been doing it for over a decade, uh, and it's a family affair, and you got to respect them. Now, the new record, CCXMD, is out right now. It's out on Nefarious Industries Records. Uh, they are currently on tour of the West Coast through November. Uh, bigger link is in the show notes for their tour dates, but November 8th, they're at Jerry's Pizza in Bakersfield, California. November 9th at Old Town Pub in Pasadena. November 10th at Jub Jub's Thirst Parlor in Reno. November 11th, El Rio in San Francisco. November 12th at the Ivy Room in Albany, California. November 13th at Sunspace in Shadow Hills, California. November 14th at Zigos Presents in Fresno. November 15th at Rubber Gloves in Denton, Texas. And then November 16th at Tradewind Social Club in Dallas. Check out the album right now on their Bandcamp, CCXMD. And uh, that's it for me this week. Next week, I've got, let's see, I believe the it is uh, Greg Hansen of King Pizza Records and the Mad Doctors here in New York. He's been doing a lot of cool stuff. We had a long talk. This is going to be the longest podcast yet. Uh, he's a really cool guy, really interesting kind of vibe to him. And, and his life and just kind of how he came to be where he is is very cool. And he knows his way around the New York City rock scene and, and how to move around and, and how to get art out there in the world. So... Make sure that you check that out next week. And then uh, we're going to take a little bit of break during the holidays. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's hard to set up interviews with artists, especially during the holiday season. So I am doing my best to just get interesting people to come in and talk to me and kind of so you can get a better picture and a better idea of what it's like in New York City and what it feeds and brings to the people that create art here and just kind of where they come from. And it, it truly is a melting pot, and I, I love that about it. So... Check in next week for Greg Hansen. Make sure you're checking out the new Cinema Cinema album. And uh, Freelance Fiends Presents sounds familiar. It is a Freelance Fiends production. It is hosted by me, Adam Schaefer, edited by me, everything by me, with the exception of the folks talking to me. Um, and you can check us out on FreelanceFiends.com. All the archives are up there. The weekly radio show is up there as well. And the podcast is available on iTunes. It's on TuneIn. It's on Google Play. Everywhere where there is a podcast, I'm pretty sure I've got it up there. So check it out. Whatever your flavor of podcasting 
consumption is, uh, I am happy to do my best to provide it for you. If I'm missing out on something, or if uh, you know somebody that I need to talk to, or you're in a band, or you're an artist, or you're a DJ, or whatever in New York City, and you want to share your experience, hit me up at FreelanceFiendsNYC at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sounds underscore BK, and on Instagram at Sounds Familiar BK, YouTube, Freelance Fiends there as well. And uh, I hope that you enjoyed the show. I hope that you have a great week, and I hope that you can make sense of this crazy world in any small way. And if I can help, well, of course, let me know. My name is Adam. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Sounds Familiar. I'll see you next week.